Hey guys, this is Steve. Episode number 105. We are so lucky to have Sam Silverstein. Sam is a nationally renowned author and the founder of the Accountability Institute. He's the keynote speaker at the annual conference in 2023 at the FCCMA conference. Really good stuff. Uh, not just your typical, I shouldn't say this, but a lot of these speakers got a lot of pablum, a lot of, you know, lofty ideas. Sam takes those lofty ideas and translates them. You talk about accountability, having value statements and how to live those value statements to create a high performance organization. You're really going to love listening to Sam Silverstein. And I hope you love it as much as I loved interviewing him. Greetings, I'm Steve Van Core, and this is the FCCMA Podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. I'm your host. In each episode, we interview a city or a county leader who's in a position to share interesting and useful insights into the operations of local government here in the Sunshine State. Now, if you have someone you would like to nominate as a guest for the podcast, all you got to do is send me an email, svancore at vancorejones.com, or you can DM FCCMA on Facebook. Well, we're going to do something a little different today. We're not going to have a city leader. We're going to have a leader leader, gentleman by the name of Sam Silverstein, who's the founder of the Accountability Institute and, depending on when you're listening to this, will be or was the keynote speaker at the annual FCCMA conference this year, 2023 in June. Sam, welcome to the program. Hey, it's great to be here, Steve. Thank you so much. What on God's green earth is the Accountability Institute? It sounds like a place where you send your kids to make them clean up their room. Well, that's just it. Accountability is not supposed to be punitive. So our mission is to is to help leaders build organizations that prioritize accountability that that have the ability then to impact their communities. And it's not about being punitive or punishment. It's it's really a gift. And so hopefully in our conversation today, we're going to get into that. Well, I want to know. Yeah, so so yeah, that's my colloquial takeaways. Uh, I'm going to hold you accountable. And it, that's usually followed by hold someone accountable for their mistakes. But you're like, no, 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 wipe that away. Accountability is something different. Tell me what accountability is. Well, let's back up. See, and 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 we that's exactly where we need to go. But here's the thing. Everything we've been told about accountability, taught about accountability is wrong. Um, accountability isn't a way of manipulating people to do more for them. What accountability is, is leadership first taking the responsibility to create an environment that inspires their people to be their best and choose to be accountable. That's what we want to create within an organization. So to your question, what is accountability? Accountability is keeping your commitments to people. That's it. Keeping your commitments to people. Now, we define a commitment as no matter what. So it's absolute. But here's where it gets interesting. You're responsible for things. You're accountable to people. Right. So I'll get you that report by noon tomorrow. Um, I'll be in your office Friday at nine for the meeting. Those are those are tactical commitments and they connect to responsibility but it's the relational commitments that define accountability. And when a leader understands the difference between tactical commitments and relational commitments, 
things start to change. All right, explain the difference. What's what's the, what is a tactical commitment? What is a relational commitment? So a tactical commitment is something that's spoken, it's agreed upon, and um, like, I'll get you the information tomorrow morning at nine o'clock, and you go, Sam, wow, you know, my meeting starts at nine thirty. Is there any way that you can get it to me this afternoon so I can review it in time? Yeah, how about if I have it to you by three o'clock today? Okay, great. Now that's agreed upon and uh, it's spoken and I've committed to it. And so now I deliver on it. Um, a relational commitment on the other hand is something that is not necessarily spoken. It's taken on by the leader and it contributes to the relationship. So a commitment to live the values, there's 10 of these, uh, is, is a relational commitment. A commitment to stand by you when all hell breaks loose is a relational commitment. A commitment to it's all of us, which means if you fail, I fail, and only if you succeed do I succeed. That's a relational commitment. A commitment to discovering the potential in you and helping you, leading you to that potential as a leader. That's a relational commitment. And when a leader makes or takes on these relational commitments, their people know they've taken them on by their actions, not so much their words. Now, here's what happens. Tactical commitments, when you make and keep tactical commitments, that's a good thing. Productivity goes up. But when productivity goes up, account it doesn't impact accountability. It has no relationship to accountability. But when you take on these relational commitments and you keep those, then what happens is accountability goes up. And when accountability goes up, productivity also goes up. Because when I know that you're being accountable to and for me, when you've taken these on through your actions, then I would rather die than let you down. And when you have a team of people who would rather die than let you down, they get so much more done than you could ever imagine. And they'll that find, goes to the bottom ways, line. They'll find ways to overcome obstacles. So let me let me let me try to make sure I am understanding this. R relational commitments are: I promise to be a good mentor. I'm going to be a good mentor to you, and I'm going to be a consistent leader. And over time, you will see that I am allowing you to grow, as opposed to the small things like, "Hey, I, I I'll clean up the dishes. I, I went in the sink and I made some coffee. I, I left them. I'll clean that up." Uh, exactly. And, and by verbalizing that, you get the conditioning principles. You say, OK, I, I said I would be get you the report by three. I will get it by three. How does it work when the person doesn't get it by three? What 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 steps do you recommend at that point? Hey, Joe, you said you were going to get me the report by three. It's three. I'm waiting for the. What do you do at that? Well, you're smiling. You're like, oh, this is this is a, this is the ball. You just put it on the tee and I got the bat. I got a carbon bat, by the way. Um, yeah, and the ball's big. The ball's big. Okay, I, I, I think I'm, I'm going to make contact here. Well, here's the thing: leaders are are constantly modeling and teaching. And if I'm not keeping my commitments to you, and what you talked about was a, you know, a tactical commitment with this, which is transactional. Then you're going to come in and say, Sam, you know, you promised me that this would be here by three. I, I count on you and you let me down. Um, is something going on in your life? Is there something I need to know about? You know, you're showing care and interest. And let's say I just messed up. Well, then you go, OK, um, that's fine. But that's not how we do it around here. Now, now we're going to have to come back to, so you see, go back we're to, have to the come commitment back. itself or do you go back to the excuse? 
No, wait, wait, wait. We got to come back to that's not how we do it around here in a moment. But what I'm saying is you've come in and we've had that conversation. Now, next week I do it again. Then you should be in my office. Sam, we talked about this. This is what we expect. And you need to decide whether you can operate the way we operate here or maybe that way of operating is best appreciated elsewhere. And if I do that again, then you let me go elsewhere. Because if you keep me around and I'm not doing what I say I'm doing. It's a clear example that everybody can fail, yeah. Well, look, anyone can make a mistake. But, you know, remember I said we got to get back to that's not how we do it around here. You, You define a culture, the rules of the sandbox. And the culture needs to say, what is the excellence here? That's one of the things that's defined in a culture. When we work with an organization to help them define their culture so that they can they can own that culture and sustain it over time. One of the things we looked at is what is excellence here in this organization? And once you as a leader define that, then you as a leader are constantly modeling that and teaching me how to do that. And if I am not willing to get on board and do it the way we do it around here, then you have to let me go elsewhere because as soon as you let me stay, then basically you're saying, well, that's not really our culture. That's not really how we do it around here. And so no one else has to do it that way. I mean, in the, in the simplest form, if you expect your staff to be seated at their desk at 830 and working, then you have to be at your desk at 830 and working every day. You can't come sauntering in at 915 with your with your cafe macchiato in your hand not ready to work. Hey, I got to check actually, my phone messages first. Actually, you're not going to like this, Steve. You No, you're not right on that. You got to be there at 8.15 or 8.10 because you're the leader. You have to set the example. The onus is on you. We have, there is less of a variance for us to mess up than for our people to mess up. And so from that standpoint, yes, I agree with you. You have to be there by 8.30. But the point that I want to make is the leader's got to do it better. The leader doesn't get to slip by. You know, there's a lot of leaders that go, well, you know, I, I'm the leader, so I don't have to do that. I don't no. have to be in on time, but they do. Yeah, no, no. We have, there's more expected of us. We have to be closer to the bullseye than anyone else on the team if we're going to inspire our people to be their very best. I love that. So let me give you an example in my in the businesses I run. Um, I tell my staff from day one and all the way through, I mistakes are not a problem. Uh, I expect you to make mistakes. If you're not making mistakes, it means you're not working hard. I make mistakes, you make mistakes. That's not the issue. The issue is how do you deal with those mistakes? Now, I say that to my employee. My employee makes a mistake and I go, Gee, you know, dang it, you know, you suck. That would be bad leadership. On the other hand, it's like, okay, good. You made the mistake. What are we doing to repair it? What are we going to do to make sure it doesn't happen again? What do we learn from it? How do we grow? So they see, am I, am I on the right track now, Sam? I, so they yes. see that leadership that, hey, it's okay to make mistakes. It's how you handle the mistakes. Well, exactly. So one of the 10 commitments of accountability is a commitment to a safe space. Now, we're not just talking physically safe. We're talking emotionally safe. Right. So- I make a mistake and and you come in there, doggone it, Sam, how many times do do I have to tell you and you chew me out? Well, that's not a safe space. I'm not going to try anything. I'm not going to take any chances. I'm not going to voice my opinion. Um, 
So yes, you have to create a safe space. At the same time, you also have to honor what excellence is here. So are we going to make mistakes? We're all going to make mistakes. But if I'm constantly making mistakes, you need to give me a short period of time to fix the frequency of my mistakes. Or again, you got to allow me to go elsewhere because we can't just say, oh, well, we all make mistakes. And then I make mistake after mistake after mistake. So there is finding that balance. But at no time should you need to or should you raise your voice? Because even if I make a ton of mistakes and you're going to get rid of me, as soon as you get angry at me and create an unsafe space, you've created an unsafe space for everyone else in the organization. And the rest of them start acting like turtles pull back into their shell and they're not. Because they see what's going to happen. Yeah. You get yelled at, you get demoted, you get terminated or whatever, but to allow them, as long as you're adhering to the principles you've laid out, which is mistakes are understandable and okay. Let's not repeat them too many times. You don't want to be the guy who makes a mistake every day because it means you're trying. It means you're running fast. But did you come to me in a timely manner? Were you honest about the mistake? And when you walked in and said, hey, I screwed this up. Here's what I'm going to do to rectify it, A. And B, here's what I'm going to do to make sure it never happens again. And none of that is accountability. Okay. I thought that's worse. No, that's responsibility. Okay. See, that's honesty. That's integrity. That's transparency. Accountability is goes back to the relational side. It's not about a way of doing. It's a way of thinking. It's how we think about people. Accountability starts with leaders first understanding not only are they accountable to their people, they're accountable for their people. And it goes back to those 10 relational commitments. Now, let's go back to this. You know, is it a safe space? Uh, Can we try things? Can we make mistakes? What's excellence? We have to define the culture because when we define the culture, then all the leader has to do is stay with that definition of the culture. The culture is defined through the values. The values define the culture of the organization. And to have a great set of values, and you need a great set of values, you have to have foundational values that speak to the character of the organization. You need to have professional values that define what excellence is here. You have relational values, both internal relationships and external. So how do we get along here inside the office? Because your 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 customers, and I'm using air quotes around customers because that's the community, that's the town council, that's the mayor. Um, you, they will never have a better experience externally than you're giving your people internally. And then, then there's the community values, which for, for, you know, for city managers and administrators, hopefully this part's the easy part, you know, how do we connect with and support the community in which we live for a corporation? Sometimes they have to think about it for, you know, in a city office, hopefully, you know, you know what that is. So you need all four of those five, when you look at relationships, both as internal and external, then you have this great set of values. And by the way, we have a free values worksheet. If somebody would want that, they can go to valuesworksheet.com and download it for free. It'll help step you through this. When you have a great set of values, then the leader just needs to live those values. You know, it's, and it expect their to people me, to do it. 
it, it often feels to me like when people do these value statements that they're just pure pablum. They're just like integrity, ethical responsibility, blah, blah, blah. Help me manifest what values, how they translate into behaviors, they translate into culture. So first of all, that's that's the bullseye question. So thank you. Um, first of all, it's not just about a set of, of, of words. What, is, what does integrity mean? What does honesty mean? What does uh, respect mean? There needs to be three, four, five, six sentences that really explain in detail what those values mean. So I know specifically how to step that out here. You know, one of our clients, uh, one of the organizations we've worked with, mm -hmm. uh, their value of integrity goes, you know, off the top of my head, something like this, integrity, do what's right, first time, every time, no matter what it costs, no matter who it offends, no matter what the outcome. Um, and it goes on from there. That's just the opening opening sentence. So they know that, hey, you know what? If I make a mistake, I need to fix it. And if it costs me more to fix it than the revenue that it generated, I'm not going to get in trouble because I have to do what's right. That's what's expected. So now what happens but, but is- who's the, who's the determiner of what's right, right? Sometimes being kind and letting your client down gently is right. Being overly honest can be the wrong thing, but to somebody else, they could say, well, the right thing is to be completely honest. You know, the old, do these pants make my butt look big? That's the leader's well, responsibility to establish to that benchmark that. over okay. time. And when a, one of the things we always advise our clients is, is capture, capture the stories, capture the lore. You know, it's like, um, what are some stories where the values have showed up in this organization? Because then you you start repeating those stories. And as new people come in, they understand, you know, what does that mean? So like customer service at at, um, at one of our case studies, uh, a client, a, a customer of the bank calls into the bank. I'm at Walmart with my children, filled up my shopping cart with groceries, and my debit card doesn't work. And so what does the bank say? Well... We just installed a new system and some of the cards are kicking out. It'll be fixed by tomorrow. Now, that's what most banks would say. This bank went on to say, how much are your groceries? Well, whatever the number is. Great. Stay right where you are. I'll be right there. And the, the person takes cash out of the drawer, runs down to the store and pays for the groceries because you know what? This mother with her two or three children just spent an hour getting all these groceries. She can't just leave the cart and come back the next day. Now that's customer service. So if customer service is important for you, do you have stories? Do you have proof that it is important to you? Because just because you put it on the wall of your website does not mean that it's important. And so that circles right back down, I'm guessing, to accountability, which is, are you living the values? Are you living the, what you're saying the culture is? Because, again, it's just words. If you go, well, I'm sorry, Mr. Johnson, but that's our policy. Have a nice day. That's not if, if your priority is customer service. I mean, the other priority could be we have stockholders. We got to be accountable to them. That's our pr first priority. That's fine. That's not I'm not saying that's a bad thing if you're doing that, but what you're saying is this particular institute said customer service. And by the way, that that woman standing in that line, that you just got a customer for life, good or bad, right? You you got right. And everyone, how many people? How many people do you think she told that story to? Now, but here's the thing: this is not about priorities. 
This is about values. Values are based on beliefs. And this is critical. You have to know what you believe because action always follows belief. So what you believe matters, which means I don't care whether you have four values, seven values. Uh, One of our case studies has 20 values. Now, that would be too many for some leaders to be able to handle, but they, they were able to do it magnificently. All those values are in play. They're not numbered. They're not prioritized. You have to live all the values. If you're not living it, it's not a value, which means you have to be able to figure out, and this is where the leader empowers the people, how to live those values, and they'll figure out how to live those values. Give me, well, you know, when you said the 20 values, I'm reminded of that Nielsen song about the point, a point in every direction is the same as no point at all. Um, Because to me, values would be about trade-offs, right? If one is about expedience. No, no, no. They're not. Okay, tell me. There's no trade-off. What trade-off? Well, if if on one hand I'm saying uh, we have the value that we have to move quickly versus we have to be thorough, uh, sometimes those things could be uh, in conflict or you know sometimes argue with each other a little bit, right? Hey, well, we got to get it, you, like we see in journalism. I got to get it right, but I also got to get it first. Sometimes those things are in conflict. Well, speed and quality can both be maximized. Um, let me give you an example. When I wrote the book, Non-Negotiables, about Happy State Bank, it's a bank out of Amarillo, Texas. True story, true organization. About a year ago, they were acquired by a larger bank. After 31 years, the value of their stock never went down, not during any recession, not during any anything. The value of their stock always stayed the same or went up. Um, two of their, one of their values is family first. Now, family first for them means that if you're at work at four o'clock on Wednesday and you have a son or daughter who has a band concert, a soccer game, a cheerleading competition, there's some sort of family event and your reason for missing this family event is work, that is a dismissible occurrence. Wow. Now, because because uh, the, the former president, chairman of the board said, J. Pat Hickman said, If you value your job more than your family, then your values suck. Those are his words. And I don't want you working for me. Now, now, keep in mind, wouldn't be unusual to see a car in there on Saturday afternoon, people getting their work done, okay? But now let's back this up. They have another value that talks about work hard and do good work and do lots of it. And so there's this professional value. And so I said rather naively, so that balances off the family first. And his response was, no, they have nothing to do with each other. Family first, and you have to do a great job and get lots of work done. Both. But here's the thing. He's not telling you how to do it. He's letting you figure that out. So guess what happens? Steve, Tomorrow. Uh, my my daughter, Allison, has a soccer game. I'm going to blow out of here like at 345 um, and, and catch that game. Can you cover for me? What's your response? Yeah, because I value your family. Okay. Well, your response, or yeah, you're going to say yes. You I'll cover you, for you, man. That's a good thing that you're doing. Right. Absolutely. And because guess what? 
I covered for you last week. Right? We mm-hmm. we got this thing going back and forth. We're looking out for each other. So so what happens through this is relationships between people start going up because we're helping each other live our best life. This is their value. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying all organizations should have that that value. I'm saying right, it's right. their value. But at the same time, I've got to get my job done and I have to do it to a level of excellence. That's what's expected, which means after the soccer game at 5.30, I might come back and work for an hour, or I might come in Saturday and get some work done, or I might work home at home that evening on my laptop and get some work done, but I'm going to do a great job. I have to live all the values. It's a simple it's not necessarily easy. I was going to say, it doesn't sound easy, but I, I get it. It does sound simple. These are the values. And that's where I go back to 20 is kind of like, but we don't need to get wrapped around the axle on that, but having clearly discernible values. And then, and then is it and holding yourself? Because let me go back a second. What I took away from your accountability speech was as a leader, as a city manager, which is most of our, you know, city managers, assistant, deputy city managers, county administrators are our listeners, right? Mm-hmm. Hold yourself yeah. accountable first. You set the values, you set the goals of the organization, and you are the model for that. So we are city managers shouldn't say, I missed my kids' soccer practice because I had to stay late. It should be, I went to my kids' soccer practice, but I came back and I got my work done or I took I took those calls at night after the kids went to bed. Right. You're, you're the model. You have to model it. Remember, we go back to the beginning of this conversation. All eyes on you. You're the leader. All eyes on you. You have to you have to do this at a level of excellence that inspires others to choose to do it at a level of excellence that inspires others to be their very best. And ultimately, that they choose to be accountable because accountability is not mandated. You can't walk into someone's office and say, I'm going to hold you accountable. Well, you can, but that's like putting a gun to their head. Nobody wants that. And so you're going to help them be accountable and by that, I mean, you're going to create a space where they understand that you are both accountable to them and for them. And by seeing and feeling that in action, they're going to choose to be accountable to you as their leader as well. You know, you, you've referenced a few times, and I really like this because I remember uh, a client of mine had gone to some management seminar and I said, well, what was your takeaway? And he said, well, one of the things was we're too quick to hire and too slow to fire. And you have said several times, if that person isn't adhering to the values, isn't being accountable, let's find them someplace else to go work, which is a kind way of saying, you fired. Yeah, exactly. They can't see your visualization. He's like thumb over the shoulder. Um, You're out of here. But that is, you know, a dear friend of mine who recently passed away was the consummate manager. He was brought in to failing organizations and cleaned house. And his method was to come in first, observe, 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 then mm-hmm. listen, 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 then um, find where the weak spots were, get rid of those people that were not adhering to the cultural values of the organization, promote those who were, and then get the hell out of their way. Um, and it sounds, uh, it sounds like he went to Sam Silverstein's uh, Accountability Institute. Well, maybe. Um, you know, because, yeah, the whole purpose of the Institute is to train others to be certified accountability advisors. 
either as consultants or within an organization so that they can continue this on a regular basis. You know, so what you said, though, let's back up just a little bit. You talked about the values, talked about the leader setting the values. Actually, when we when we work with um, a leader, we like other we like everyone in the organization to have a voice in the values, not just the leader. That's you know, we were working with the uh, president of the uh, Lubbock Economic Development uh, Council. And um, he, he, he said, you know, we were going to, we worked with, we were setting up a time to work with them to develop their values. And he says, okay, there's three executives. Let's, let me see when the other two are available. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, John, I said, um, I said, we don't want to work with the three of you. We want, you only have 23 people in the organization. We want to work with all 23. You know, it's not like you have 16,000 employees. He says, you want everyone in? I says, I don't want everyone in. I said, that's the only way we're going to do this. An organization that size, either everyone has a voice or we're not going to do it. He goes, wow. I said, let's do this. And so that's what we did. And so here, I, I, I share this because this is critical. Nobody's going to come up with a value of, I only want to work six hours a week. Nobody no, wants they're, that. They're, People, and those meetings are always going to be aspirational, right? They're well, yes, be, exactly. And when people start talking about their values, you get to know people at a deeper level. And so relationships actually start to improve in that moment. And, and it never failed. We came out with a great set of values. We do this in about a day. And it, they have this amazing set of values. And literally within, within 60 days, um, one person self-selected out of the organization because they could not live the values. And that's, I love the euphemisms. No, no, they self-selected. They self-selected. They left. They okay. left. Now, another person was nominated to leave the organization, and so they let one person go. And then, to back to what you said before, they filled those two slots by hiring to the values. They knew what their values are. And before they even showed the job description to anyone, they showed their values and they said, these are our values. They explained them and they asked, the, can you live these values? Because that was of most important. I interviewed those two people subsequent to that. I said, why'd you come here? They said, we came here because of the values. So now you're attracting and retaining the best people. You're creating an environment where people enjoy working together. What we know from all of our data and all the research that we've done is organizations that master relationship, master accountability, organizations that are struggling in accountability, we know going in, they're struggling in relationship because you know what, Steve? If I don't like you, I'm not going to be accountable to you. But if I love you and I love working with you, I'm going to move heaven and earth to make sure that you look great, that you do well, that you have everything on time. The relational will feed the tactical. I love that. You know, and it's especially important if you're in government for this reason. You know, I own two businesses, right? I have absolute hire and fire power. I can give people raises. I can walk in and say, here's a thousand dollar bonus. Hey, by the way, here's tickets to whatever show, whatever. You know, I have that authority to do that because it's our business, right? Uh, conversely, if I run, work for a government, some of the tools of management are taken away from me, right? I can't just give, I can, over time, I can get promotions, I could do some reorg, but it's much more limited. And I think what you're offering here, and this is why I think it's you're a great selection to be the keynote speaker for the FCCMA conference, is that you can give these managers, these leaders tools 
in their tool chest because being a government administrator, many of the traditional tools of management are taken away from you. You can't hire and fire that easily. You can't give promotions that easily, but you can give the good assignments. You can give good, really good feedback. You can give personal respect. Uh, you can give that opportunity to go, hey, go, go, go be with your kid. They're playing an important soccer game. We'll see you on Saturday morning. You know, you can you can do those things. And it sounds to me like what you're doing is bringing that, enhancing the set of tools that are already in their tool chest and making them better. Well, exactly. Here's the thing. And, you know, as if, if you're a city manager and administrator, your job is, is, is much more difficult than someone who's leader of a, like you said, a, you know, as an entrepreneur or someone that's a CEO of a corporation, because you don't just have people that report to you. You have people that you report to, you know, and not only that, that mayor is up for reelection. The mayor gets replaced by a new mayor. And so, you know, you have the dynamics of that, that, that you're constantly, uh, that you're working through. But here's the thing. When you lead the process of establishing what your culture is through the values, and you make those values so strong, and you make them strong by defending them. That's how you make them strong, is by defending them. Um, and when you do that, then what happens is, as people come and go that are elected, they see what the values are. They know what the values are before they come in many times, because they're known outside of the organization. And you have the ability to pull everyone onto the same page because you're going to connect through the values. That's where people connect. That's why it's so important for this the, the, the city administrator, the city manager, the leader to establish this is how we do it here. This is maybe the most important thing that you do. This is your legacy. Because if your values are, are strong enough and good enough, then what happens is I'm taking these home to my family. You're showing me how to be a better man or a better woman, how to be a better spouse, how to be a better parent, how to be a better participant in my community, how to be better at my synagogue or my church or my mosque. That's impact and influence, which is all a leader has. And when as a leader, you grow to that level, then you're starting to become an amazing leader. That's why I say accountability is the highest form of leadership. This is something that, that can have such a ripple effect in the communities that we live. Oh, there's no doubt when you look at strong leaders and the organizations they create and, you know, with tens of thousands of people, I've often wondered, how is it that that person can step in a general, a president, a CEO of a major corporation and change the culture of an organization? And what you're saying, it begins with their behavior, their attitude and their leadership, and that trickles down and eventually to the frontline worker. Exactly. It's all in how you see the people. So I'm, the I'm leader, intrigued by a, a comment in your in your resume, culture by design. Tell me, I know we've touched on that peripherally, but tell me directly a little bit more about your five critical steps to building a culture by design. So every organization has a culture. Every city manager, leader, administrator that's listening to this, there is a culture in your organization. And you either have a culture by default or a culture by design. Um, I always say a leader gets the culture they deserve. Um, the culture by default literally is anything goes. A culture by design is you've taken the time to define the culture through the values. You model those values. You teach those values. You protect the culture. And the best way to 
you know, that sort of comes back to allowing people to go elsewhere when that behavior is just not acceptable here. You know, I was standing in front of 50 CEOs in a room once. I said, what do you do when your top salesperson disrespects the, you know, the support team and respect is one of your values? And one of the CEOs says, well, I'm, I, I move him to a corner office so he doesn't have to talk to as many people, thinking that that's a good solution. Well, so what you just said is that you don't have to live the values if you can perform. That, that means the ends justifies the means, which means I guess you could also have unethical behavior if you can get the results you're looking for. You know, where do you draw that line? And so you protect the culture by not allowing people to stay who aren't living the culture. And then you celebrate the culture, the fifth step celebration. You literally celebrate. You celebrate one-on-one, you celebrate in groups. Um, you celebrate the success. And you know, I, see, and I you... see that because if you're if you're looking at that one salesperson, you're, first of all, you're forgetting in order to be a good salesperson, you have to have a team behind you. And if you're saying, well, this person's a top performer and they disrespected their fellow workers and by you, uh, what was one of the expressions you use? They escorted them out the door or showed them another opportunity somewhere else. Allow them to go elsewhere. You kicked their butt out of the That behavior is appreciated. You, you then set a tone to everybody in that organization that well, I'm supporting you and you're going to create another great salesperson who will also be the next good leader. Uh, I, I got to, I'm going to give you an interesting example. As you're talking, I, I had this incredible career as a coach. Okay. I, I know my name's right up there with Bill Belichick and others. I coached T-ball for three years in a row. And I was old enough that I wasn't the dad buying my kid a carbon bat. Okay. I was, the, I understood that they were, they were mostly there for the snacks. Okay. And I, it was interesting because all three years had the same pattern. I was not the guy recruiting kids. I was not the guy transferring them from other leagues. I was took whatever. So we started every season with the bad new bears, bad news bears. And I met with the parents. And I said, look, our goals are going to be simple. We're going to have fun. We're going to play. But everybody's going to get an equal shot with, with two exceptions, by the way. If your kid's the kid who doesn't pay any attention, I'm not putting them on the mound and I'm not putting them on first base because they're going to get hit in the head with the ball. Okay. The beginning of the season, we always went 0-5. Okay. These kids did not know how to play. But... Everybody had an equal shot and everybody got equal rotation for batting. Everybody played equal in, in the infield. And what's interesting about it, Sam, is on all three years, we had a winning record in the second half of the season. The other coaches who were so mindset on winning each game put the same three or four kids up to bat for the first three or four times. And the other kids realized that the culture of the team was those four or five kids are going to be always out there. And I don't have to pay attention and I don't have to grow and I don't have to learn. And I watched my kids over and it was I've got to tell you, it was totally by accident. I was just like, I'm going to just make play fair, let the kids have some fun. Da, 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 da. But as the as the season wore on, I saw they all got better. They all showed up to every practice and they all really wanted to play because they knew they would be held accountable. They knew they would get their turn at bat first or second or third in the next inning. And so they rose to the occasion and they ended up becoming a solid team by the end of the year. And so what I'm hearing you about the firing of the salesperson, because they, they did not adhere to the values of the team, tells me that when you put, you set aside the priorities or the values of the organization for one or two personalities, you degrade the entire organization. Well, exactly. You've let people go before. So I, I guarantee you, after you let someone go, if your organization was big enough, you had other people, 
someone came up to you within 24 hours and said, and I'll let you fill in the blank. See what took you. Yeah. Yeah. So long. So long. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What took you so long? Everyone else knows that that person's a problem. Okay. And what happens is if you let that person say, then it's a disrespect to me. I don't care what your work environment is like. I don't care that Joe over here or Sue or Mary or Tom is, uh, is mean, angry, always comes in with a bad attitude. I don't care if you have to put up with that. I want their sales production. That's what you're telling me. Or you can tell me our culture matters and I'm going to protect it for you, Sam, because you're all in. And there's two different, there's two different results from that. Sam, Sam grows, gets better. The other person's and they realize you, you yeah. get, to, you get to what get escorted out. What do you think the sales team says? Look, there's eight people in the sales team and you let the number one person go because they're a jerk. Okay. The number one salesperson. Now that leaves seven people sitting around that table. What do you think when they look at each other, they say, they say, Oh my gosh, I can get their customers. Steve must, Steve must believe those values. First of all, Steve must believe those values. Then they'll go, hallelujah. They got rid of Joe. Okay. And then they go, Oh my gosh, Steve must believe in us. What are we going to do to take up the slack? And now you're motivating your people to be their very best. They're going to grow. They have to. I, look, this is not rocket science, but it, it takes guts to stand up for something that you believe. You either believe the values or you don't. If you say that respect is a value in this organization and you allow someone to stay who doesn't respect their peers, meaning anyone that they work with in the organization, then if you leave that value on the wall, you're a liar and nobody wants to work for a liar. Talk to me about, you know, again, in government, you don't, you can't offer the highest pay. You can usually offer good benefits, a good positive work environment, but you address a little bit about the great resignation and giving, giving some help and some tips and pointers on how city managers, county administrators and the like can, can help overcome this this kind of strange. I I I can't even articulate what's going on. Uh, at the same time, you have people saying I can't find a job. At the same time, you have people saying now hiring. Uh, I'm not quite sure where where this comes. Help help guide me a little bit and help guide these managers a little bit on some of the things you can do to overcome that. So the idea is always attract and keep the best people. If you attract and keep the best people, you'll get the best results. That's not rocket science. We know that. I'm giving an example, a client of ours, uh, we we helped them create their value set and worked with them once a month over the course of 12 months. And uh, three months in, one of the ladies that worked there was diagnosed with a cancerous tumor on her spine. This is down in Texas, actually. And she was going to the Mayo Clinic up in Minnesota for the treatment. Well, she couldn't afford to be away from work. She had a family. She needed she needed her income, and you only get so many personal days off. So what happened? Everyone else in the organization went to the president and said, can we change the policy manual? Can we change the policy manual so that we can gift our PTO, our personal time off, to so-and-so so she can get the cancer treatment and get paid? Now, you think about that. 
Look at the relationships that are in place. What would cause someone to want to gift their PTO to someone else? Now, when you create an organization where the people inside the organization enjoy each other, love each other, enjoy working together, really care about the organization, care about the community that they serve, when you create that kind of organization, it's going to take a lot to pry someone away. Now, if you're earning X and I come in and I offer you 1.05 times X, you're not leaving. If I offer you 2X, well, you know what? The city administrator should tell you, Steve, look, you got this unbelievable offer. It's a chance for your family. You should take that. And yes, you're going to lose some people. But guess what? When you create the kind of culture that attracts and retains the best people, you're going to watch your numbers, your retention numbers go up, your turnover go down. There will be a, a vast improvement over time. I get it. So basically having a positive work environment, a, a supportive value-based work environment with accountability at the, at the head of the table, you're going to reduce turnover. That's one way to counteract the great resignation. Of course, I can go work anywhere. What? Why would I stay here? Well, I'm not saying because of the industry we're in. I'm not saying because of the product we provide or the service. I'm People connect over the values. I'm staying because of the relationships and the impact that I can have. Now, I can't imagine anywhere where you could have greater impact than working for the community, being involved in city government and impacting, you know, thousands of people in a community in such a positive way. Give me an environment where I just love the environment and I'm I'm not going anywhere. I want to I want to shift gears with you a little bit. One of the challenges that we're talking to a lot of our city managers about is the changing culture of how and why people are coming to the commission. Let me give you an example. I'd say in my in my experience beginning in the 1980s through today um, what has changed in local government is people used to come to the commission vis-a-vis, -vis, I was on the planning commission, I was a volunteer with the Economic Development Council, I was the president of the chamber, and it was the next layer up. So by the time they ran for and won the position, or there were a neighborhood activist who was the president of the Homeowners Associations, Association of Associations, and by the time they arrived, they knew about government. They knew how government worked. They knew what a charter government meant. They knew what a city manager form of government meant. And so they were more um, consistent and, and appropriate as commissioners. And maybe that's my age showing. But now what's happening is a lot of people are running for local government, either from the MSNBC crowd or the Fox News crowd. And their belief is their job is to blow things up, throw bombs, sorry to use war metaphors, but to be a disruptor when what their job really is to be a board member. They're called the Board of County Commissioners, right? A city commission. These are board members who help guide and oversee policy to do really exciting things like make sure the money on sidewalks is spent equitably, make sure potholes are fixed, make sure when I flush my toilet, it actually goes somewhere and goes into the environment clean, right? A lot of boring stuff that when I flipped on the light switch, it comes on. But so our city managers are now having to deal with kind of a new world order of uh, people who don't understand or care to understand what really government, local government's supposed to do. We see local governments, sorry for the tirade, we see some local governments passing ordinances related to, you know, or, or proclamations related to international affairs or whatnot, a lot of 
back and forth. How do you, what, what advice would you give to a city manager on developing this kind of culture for their commission? So it's one thing to look down at, and I don't mean down at, but downward to your staff and say, hey, you're my director of this, you're my director of that, and build that culture uh, within your organization. Help me with managing a board, managing a, a board, especially in this day and age where people are hyper-partisan and hyper-aggressive. Well, unfortunately, longest question some, ever. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> I, don't worry, I won't give you the longest answer ever. Um, yeah, you know, we've had some bad leaders that have set some bad examples on behavior and how to act and what to try and do. And you're absolutely right. Society has bought into that and it's unleashed an attitude and a behavior that they think is justified, but it's not. Um, relationships are built on give and take, not it's either my way or the highway or your way or the highway. And that's what we've kind of moved to, you know, if you and I are going to have a long-term relationship, Steve, you know, we're probably going to go out to eat a few times. Some of the times you're going to, you're going to say, Sam, I'm in the mood for Mexican tonight. And I'm like, well, okay, that's what you're in the mood for. Let's go there. And then the next time I might, you know, I might be looking for, um, you know, I, I, gosh, I really want some lasagna. Can we, can we go someplace Italian? And you go, yeah, sure. You know, might not be your favorite, but you know, what the heck there's give and take, there's give and take in a marriage, there's give and take in all relationships. I think that for a city manager to be super successful in this environment, they have to double down on, on their culture and having this culture established through the values. So that hopefully the stronger that base is, the easier it is to bring on new people that come into the council. Then it becomes the city's manager. I would suggest that you educate these elected people what the culture is in the city government office. Now, you can't mandate that they live it, but you can show what it is and what it's done, and hopefully you can get them on board. And so maybe there's some way to participate in a um, a new council person's uh, initiation or not initiation, but, you know, training uptake program. Maybe you have a chance to speak for 30 minutes or an hour and go, okay, this is this is how we do it here. Maybe you create a, a session that's longer than that. It could be a half day, full day, multi-day. This is what our, these are the great things that city government has done in this community. This is the purpose of city government. This is how you're going to find uh, your best success. I can't tell you how to act, but I, I'm giving, I'm sharing with you where we've seen that officials have done the best work and where they've struggled. And so create, Create an uptake program where you can where you can share insights and connect your culture to that to that uptake program. Everyone needs to know. Look, when you when you hire somebody, the first thing after you train them how to whatever it is that you know training them that first week or whatever, every person that comes in should be brought into the city manager's office, and the city manager should say, "This is what we believe here. These are our values." And they should teach those values so that the individual knows these are important. They matter here because if you're not putting that emphasis on that, then they don't get it. So I, I think that's how I would approach it. I would try to build that liaison with the elected officials. I would try to show that you're there to help them be successful, show them what can help them be the most successful. Be sure you connect your culture to it. And then let them know that 
This is the culture that your people are going to live. You know, the, one of, one I, of you need managers. to support that. Don't ask my people to operate outside the culture because they're not going to do it. So get them aligned. So one, develop a relationship with that person. Two, get them aligned as best you can with the culture and the values of the organization, letting them know you're where the buck stops for that. You know, one of our uh, interviewees was um, uh, International City Manager of the Year last year. And um, we talked about this very issue. And, he, you know, he had two pieces of advice that I that, and I want to see how, what your thoughts are on them. One was uh, he had a background in boxing. And he said the best way to avoid getting punched hard is to, to fight all of your instincts, but lean in. You know, you think your instinct is to pull away, right? And that gives that person more latitude to swing and hit you in the face. But by leaning in, you'll, you may get punched, but it's not going to be as hard. But leaning into tough conversations, leaning into those tough moments was one thing he thought about on, the, on this very issue. The second thing was he said he has had over the years a number of, of commissioners have come in and been very publicly aggressive. And what he did is he brought them in close, shared the values of the organization and said, I'm here to help you achieve what it is you want to achieve. And what he found, uh, it was interesting because one of the one of his commissioners was far to the left and one of them was far to the right. And he gave them the public victories they so desperately sought. But he said behind the scenes, they were putty. They were they were compliant. They were helpful. They were supportive. They understood the goals of the county and even the conservative. When we had to raise taxes, what, what took the lead on it? Uh, be, because we brought them in close, we developed a strong relationship with them and communicated what our values of the organization was. Which was one of he, he didn't have twenty; he had like two: excellence and public and good public service. You know, uh, which I like that because that's easy to understand <laughs> from my my adult brain, but. Uh, what do you what are your thoughts about those? Those sound like more tactics than than larger scale. But what are your thoughts on those, Sam? Well, they those those sound like a professional value, and um, they they connect to the profession. Both of them connect to professional value. One connects to the community and how you're supporting the community. Um, they also connect somewhat to character. But I want to hear the foundational value. I want to hear a little bit more about the character of that organization. And I want to hear a little bit about more about relationships, because if you don't define what the relationships are in the organization, then we're allowed to build them any way we want. So I would want to, I think what he had was great. I would want to build on that. Now back to the other part, you know, you're dealing with the egos of these people. And so you're between the community and your team and the egos of the people that are elected. That's why I said before, this is a tough position, but Hopefully you understand that and you have to rise up and you have to deal with those variables. Um, but, you know, everything is, to me, being count counterintuitive is important. We think one way is the way to go when it really may be the other way. It's the same thing like, like if you ski, if you snow ski, the steeper the terrain gets, the more you want to lean back, stay close to the mountain, it's safe. We're no, the same thing, yeah. You know, if you lean back, you're dead because what happens when you lean back is your weight is over the tails of your skis and the skis shoot out in front and you end up in the trees and you die. The only way to control those skis is to keep your weight over the ski, which means the steeper the terrain, the more you have to lean forward. It's counterintuitive, but it works. And so, you know, my suggestion, quite frankly, to city manager and administrator, first of all, if you're listening to this, that's one great thing. You're here. You're listening. You're you're getting ideas. 
uh, the next, communicate with your peers in, in other communities. And that's why you come to the annual conference because you come to the annual conference, you have a chance to learn from people. Hopefully you'll learn from something that I'm sharing, but also as you network and build relationships with other successful city managers, you have the opportunity to learn from them and how they dealt with some of their more tenuous situations. Excellent. Excellent. So I want to wrap up because we're we're way over our time and I love it, Sam. Thank you so much. Been fun. Um, you got a half hour to 40 minutes talk. What is the takeaway you want these folks to walk out of that room and look at their colleague and go, you know, boom, what was, what's that one boom? What, what are the thing? what is the one or two things you want them to take away? Two things. I want them to understand that they're both accountable to and for their people. And when they accept that accountability, and what happens is they'll start seeing their people different. They'll commit to them different and they're going to get a different result. And we're going to do that by redefining what accountability is. Then the second thing is the culture. I want them to take the responsibility to own the culture and to drive the culture going forward so they can build a high performance culture that inspires your people to choose to be accountable and create a culture that attracts and retains the best people and is sustainable over time. So I want to I want to renege on my promise to make that the last question, because a lot of times we we get this a lot of times, the, the culture of the office, the culture of the office, the culture of the office, you come in. Um, that can't be an easy thing when you've got 600, 800, 4,000, 4,500 employees. Um, it sounds like it takes a while. But what you're saying, it's got to begin. The culture has got to begin with you. You've got to you got to live the culture. You've got to live the values. And then communicate that, that everybody within the organization has to live the culture, has to live the values. It doesn't sound like an easy, an, an easy thing to do, but I think if you're consistent over time, you can, you can build a positive culture. It's very simple. It's not easy. But if you want to be the best and you want to create the best possible city office, that's what it's going to take. If people want you to learn do it. more about the Accountability Institute, where, what do they do? Well, you can go to the accountabilityinstitute.com and we do train people within organizations to be able to make sure this is happening. You can go to samsilverstein.com. The free values worksheet is available at valuesworksheet.com. And if they want to know where they are on a scale of accountability to have an insight, especially before our program, they can go to amiaccountable.com. And there's a free 60-second assessment that'll share some insights around these uh, 10 commitments of accountability that we spoke about. Yeah, that's amiaccountable.com? Yes, sir. I love that. I love that uh, URL. That's fantastic. Well, folks, I hope if you enjoyed this show half as much as I did and learned half as much as I did, you had a great, a great 45, uh, 50 minutes. This is Steve Van Cort. And this is the FCCMA podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. If you have a question you'd like to submit or a future guest you'd like to recommend, send me an email at svancor at vancorjones.com. Thank you for being with us. And Sam, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. It's been an honor.